Animation is a way of making movies that has always fascinated us. Bill's imagination is captured by cartoon images and scenes of mystical wonder. Join him and Adric as we explore the breakthroughs that are being made today in the world of computers. How'd I do? That was my, that was my first intro. That was good. Yeah? Yeah. Did, did, I, did I do good? Yeah. You, <laughs> you did an acting. I did acting. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> so uh, welcome to the, the second part of our, um, or I guess the second, first part second of our second part. of our four-parter. <laughs> uh, about the, the history of animation, where we delve today into the history of computer animation now we did have uh, a discussion not on the podcast about what we defined as computers because like technically you had uh cnc being used right. for animation um back on so snow like white controlling the animation yeah. yeah but what i told adric was that we would define it as a machine that thinks or a machine that is made in the likeness of a human mind um, <laughs> and I further and, define that as like the image is being drawn by computers itself. Like right. that is that is the thing that is producing the image. As we'll go into, a lot of the stuff was then further captured on film, on tape, on physical media because, of course, it was. This stuff goes back to like the 1940s. But the image itself was drawn by a machine using code. Mm-hmm. I just I just wanted to make sure that we get our obligatory Dune reference in to this episode oh my god i'm so, such an idiot I yeah totally... mark it mark it off of your uh your bingo cards <laughs> everyone at home we should make bingo cards <laughs> we should make i suppose you should make them before the episode starts and then like far enough in advance that we totally forget uh, it, but, uh, it'll just be like will says yeah and then nothing comes yeah. of it <laughs> and then there's a, a one second pause yeah. in between that adric forgets to edit out <laughs> <laughs> um so uh we're gonna we're gonna dive right into it because we got uh some stuff to go through um so uh i said what i meant it begins as early as the very like beginning of the progenitor of this stuff um is in the 1940s um when we like start to look at the actual experimentation that um people are undergoing where they realize that like okay not only are computers a thing but like we can draw shit with them, and then when we can draw shit with them, we can draw multiple images, capture those over a sequence of time, and then suddenly we have animation. Yep. Uh, so John Whitney is one of the first people who was um, is like pinned down as somebody who was like a, a father of computer animation. So he was working out in in California and was already interested in animation and was just doing some like very very basic stuff where it's like I made a computer draw some shapes and they are spinning slightly or um, like twisting in space. It is like pioneering at the time, but it's the equivalent of when I was in high school and I would use the like programming on a TI 98 to just (laughs) make a line go back and forth on the screen. Yeah, exactly. Cause it's like he was, he was taking math. And telling a computer to turn that math into 
pointed lines on a screen and then using the very 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 early progenitor of what we would consider as like graphics processing as a concept and when we talk about graphics processing um so uh, i don't know if many people know i have a, a little bit of a background in computer science and specifically in um uh, graphics and these things from a technical level we're not going to be getting into that too much but essentially the difference between a cpu and a gpu a, a central processing unit and a graphics processing unit is that a, a graphics processing unit is what its job is to do is to think in forms of translating something back onto a screen like the screen is a very necessary mm. and integral part to the graphics processor where it is looking at a display and knows how to put a point on that display and knows how to draw things um, something else that's like probably going to be good for um as we move further into this and, uh, and we'll bring it up in other places is the difference between raster and vector um so raster is um you can think of it as like pixels. It is referring to the fact that it is an image that is made up of smaller, smaller pieces um, that have at the very core of them a very finite structure. Um, and then vector is, is made up a of crocodile math. from Sonic the Hedgehog. Vector is the crocodile from Sonic the Hedgehog who's yeah. made of math. He was on. <laughs> he was on uh, that team with Charmy the Bee and Espio the Chameleon. Damn, that Sonic Heroes was such a, a wild ride of a video game. It was like kind of trash, but kind of fantastic. It's so um, weird. There was a recent uh, tool-assisted speed run that went up on... We're recording right after SGDQ ended. Which, and Oh, it was oh, man. bonkers. SGDQ is so good. SGDQ stands for... Um, Summer, Summer Games, games Done, done Quick. quick. Uh, they also have Awesome Games Done Quick. It's a charity speed run marathon that goes on for like freaking seven days or something ridiculous non-stop speed running full Check it week out. 24 hours a day yep it's magnificent donate kill the animals anyway <laughs> figure out what that means and then do you it. you were gonna talk about vector graphics <laughs> uh, vector graphics um, are made up of math and so instead of um, being a collection of pixels that are saved down and like uh, can be like recreated with this by reproducing this grid vector can be reproduced by saying I have a, a point at this coordinate and I have a point at this coordinate and they are connected by a line or connected by a curve that has this math that makes it. And so what's what's the thing you'll need to remember about these two pieces of media is that, or, or ways of drawing basically, is that um, a pixel image has a resolution. So when you think about your, your desktop monitor or your TV at home, it might be 1920 by 1080 pixels. That's a very um, common... Uh, pixel ratio um it is it is like that is what it is being translated to and it's rendered on your screen but you can zoom in or out as much as you want on a um a vector image and it will redraw itself at perfect resolution with like crisp lines because it's made of lines there's there's nothing um hmm. it is it can scale infinitely is the is the way to say it yeah and Whereas then it's just you, being it's being interpolated into the uh pixels right into the pixels that your screen has right whereas a pixel image you can zoom in zoom in zoom in and then at some point you're going to physically see the pixels that make up the image then when you zoom back out if it's a high resolution image then you will those pixels will sort of fade away it's like Um, if you play nes games on your computer exactly 
Um, and this is this brings us nicely into um, the very first pixel image uh, was made by um, a man named Russell Kirsch. Uh, and the headline for the article that I found about this guy, uh, it just says, Russell Kirsch says he's sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so he made the very first pixel image um, uh, that is that is scanned into a computer was a, a, a picture of his infant son. Um, it's a digital image, grainy black and white. Um, and, uh, the reason why he's sorry is because we think of pixels as like this ubiquitous, it's like the way to make up images. And he was like, what he's, what he's apologizing for is that he believes now that, uh, like that was an artificial limitation that we put on ourselves. And basically we could have had pixels that were non-standard shapes or triangles or very different, um, shape and had, a much more flexible image. Yeah, platform, or like more fluid resolution. Exactly. Um, here's a quote from him. Squares was the logical thing to do, Kirsch says. Of course, the logical thing was not the only possibility, but we used squares. It was something very foolish that everyone in the world has been suffering from ever since. Wow. <laughs> um, he's retired and living in Oregon, in Portland, um, and he is now going through and trying to make raster programs that um, are still pixels, quote unquote, but instead of being squares, they can be variably shaped. So um, basically the program that is making the raster is made up of, you can think of them as like tiny vector drawings that individually are rasterized by looking at it and how to like break it down. You can think of like how um, uh, somebody making mosaics isn't limited to just using squares. They can break the glass and make it like a weird little triangle or a tiny little curve to it. This is something that's like very possible, has always been possible. Like, um, like, but how possible is it with like modern monitors? So that's a good question. Um, the way that it would work is is that monitors are still monitors, right? They are still going to render things as pixels, but much right. like vector drawings have start off as math, you could do the same thing with images. Um, where huh. an image is, is rendered as like a soft vector that is then rasterized on your screen itself. Cool. Anyway, I just think it's hilarious that this man made like one of the most, one of the largest contributions to digital <laughs> like image storage yeah, and ever. It, and his and first he's yes. For it. Like I fucked up. The world uh, so could stupid. be so much better. <laughs> so that's the, the first digital image. And then the first computer-drawn film was in 1960. Uh, and this is a 49-second um, vector animation. So this is that um, format that we talked about where it's all math-based. And it's just uh, a car traveling down a highway. So all right. um, what it actually is is like you're you're looking out the windshield of a car. Um, it's black and white. It's very grainy. Think of like um, those old uh, Atari cabinet video games. It looks sort of like one of those where... Um, like that that tank game or like early asteroids. Um, it looks mm. very very similar to that. That was made on a Besk computer, um, which is like when you think of a, those old room size computers. That's yeah. one of those. So it uses <laughs> vacuum tubes. It uses all this stuff. Um, and the way that all this was captured, how I sort of mentioned in the beginning there, was it would have a physical screen, and electrodes are drawing this on a CRT monitor. And then film is capturing it. 
And so either they're capturing it with a stills camera that is taking sort of like stop the way stop motion would be captured. Right. Where they're taking a picture of the screen, taking a picture of the screen, taking a picture of the screen, and then later stringing that together into a, a long film or using like a Super 8 camera or some of these other um, film cameras that have that are capturing film but on like um the yeah because i guess there, works is... there's there would have been no means by which to play it back digitally if you didn't have a computer the size of a whole room <laughs> exactly like all the stuff that is all the programs and all that stuff that are making that image happen are on the physical computer itself so like you can replay it by replaying the program but you can't distribute it you can't yeah you can't show this to anybody else. <laughs> you can't <laughs> like archive it. Um, and this is like one of those things that sort of goes back all to the concept of analog to digital is a very fascinating thing to me where analog signal, uh, a, a good representation of it is like sound. So analog sound is the physical vibrations that are, are moving a microphone diaphragm that are then going into a recording. But it, and that is transferred as electrical signal that is a one-to-one -one representation, but then it needs to be converted digitally into something that has like a sample rate that has like this, this fidelity loss to it. That you can um, save. That you can save, right, exactly. And then you've got this, this very early animation is so interesting to me because it is analog to analog. Film is an analog format in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, now, obviously, it's been rescanned and re um, modified and brought back into digital. <laughs> the word I wanted to use was posthumously, but <laughs> that's not exactly right. <laughs> um, but it is. It is like since been brought into digital, but like it's like the there is there's a lot more fidelity there. And you're you if you go back and watch some of these, and and maybe we'll try to link them in the description. Um, these animations have a ton more fidelity than you'd expect them to like they huh. are really beautiful um from this like very first animation um it like many other parts of electronics in this country um and across the world honestly owe a lot to um this place called bell labs so bell was in uh bell labs was in new jersey bell like the telephone company and essentially um what bell did is sort of unprecedented throughout the entirety of um, American history before or after its existence made so much money off of inventing and, and then distributing the telephone that they were like, let's just try to stay up on, on top of technology. And they had a building in New Jersey that all it did was just research, just like look into cool shit. And like they, the science, they just hired as many scientists as they, as could be reasonable and they were just sort of told to do whatever and uh, so many fascinating things have come out of that like multiple programming languages um, including um, this programming language called Bellflix Bell which is short for Bellflix Bellflix which is Bellflix which is Bellflix. Um, a programming language in the 19s uh, I believe yeah, in the 1960s, specific to producing animation. So the the first programming language specifically for generating um, wow. animation that could be exported and then rebrought into um, other computers that's, that had instructions for drawing a line, copying a region, filling in an area, zooming in, 
and, and a number of other like very, very primitive operations, that programming language is available in, 19, in the 1960s, 1965, 1967. And that was, that sort of has come to inform how computers work with, and when you, when you think about it, it's, there's not like that many other ways to work with animation. Like you right. got to draw a line, you got to like place a dot on a screen um, you can take a thing and you can copy it over. Um, but there's not that many things. We're still in the place where people are doing things that are very, very experimental. Uh, Boeing got involved um, and a couple other of these companies got involved in like experimenting with. Um, these are all, you can picture them as like wire-based drawings or like line-based drawings at this point. Okay. Where they're all like laying down a line on a screen and you can like take that line, you can move it around, you can like do kind of fancy things with it. But for the most part, it is still a line. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I did not know any of this history. Uh, <laughs> well, because so much that's... of it is wrapped in like computer science. Like there's no, there's so much work that needed to be done before anybody could do anything artistic with it. Right. Um, and so for the longest time for decades it was just scientists and then uh now we're into the like the mid to late 60s and the, in the early 70s people have um, this stuff has been around for you know one to two decades depending on when you actually start counting it um they are now getting into like making more animations with it like um, actually trying to entertain people exactly the first thing so this is still kind of experimental but the first like animated character that was made by a computer and this one's even like i i feel like kind of complicated it's about clippy right this one uh would you say clippy yeah it's clippy <laughs> the paper clip the that paper used clip? to piss everyone off <laughs> god uh this is this is somehow earlier than clippy oh, ancient elbridge wow. clippy um this is uh, a group of soviet physicists and mathematicians um uh Nikolai uh Konstantinov uh Konst Konstantinov Konstantinov yeah thank you um <laughs> made a cat out of essentially characters so like if you're familiar with um ASCII art um this is like oh. inverse ASCII art <laughs> so they they printed it as frames they literally so like on those like um like roll paper printers where it like goes and prints through they they made animation frames of a walking cat um and then they took that and then they they did normal painted animation on top of it and made something very close to a flip book and then captured it on 35 mil um wow. but this this animation is still available on youtube as well yeah there's a whole world of like russian animation there's a, a twitter account that i follow I Ooh. believe it's called Out of Context Soviet Animation. <laughs> and it, it, there's so much of it. And it's like, I would love to do an episode on it, but I wouldn't even know where to start. So the I just looked it up. The Twitter account is uh, Soviet Cartoons Out of Context. And this is amazing. Right? And there's so much of it. And it's so like weird obviously from an american perspective right yeah this is so cool oh man i should have looked 
So this is one of the things, and we talked about this a little bit in the in the um, the the earlier episodes. Is that not just a lot of what we're discussing, but a lot of like historical record comes from an American perspective. Yep. And so there's going to be there's going to be a ton of gaps here. Um, like and... Wikipedia probably has more people editing it in the United States than anywhere else. Exactly, and that's you know I've I've dug around in search for specific contexts and specific countries um but for the most part like man the internet has a united states perspective yeah it, it's <laughs> just like oh well where did computer animation come from uh new jersey mm-hmm. <laughs> sure uh sure <laughs> um and legitimately there was um a ton of funding in the united states and there was a lot of there were a lot of companies that were specifically interested in this um, because as you can imagine, this seems like an incredibly lucrative thing and became an incredibly lucrative thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, nowadays, you don't make cartoons without computers. Right. Uh, yeah. Like, they're involved you, somewhere along the process. You can, but, you know, you're a lunatic like uh, <laughs> right. uh, Don Hartsfeld. Exactly. I wonder what the most recently produced fully film captured animation still is possibly there was a don hartsfeld one that came out like five years ago um yeah i wonder if that was completely although i guess there's also claymation that's true but they're still in like digital cameras you know what i mean like oh yeah computers are still involved okay so probably in that case it's probably don hartsfeld because as far as i'm aware he has the camera that they used for snow white oh i didn't know that that's cool i have searched and tried to find anything that verifies that but it's a thing (laughs) that i heard forever ago i'll take it yeah um so then there's so throughout this entire process there's like a bunch of university stuff where individual researchers are advancing the computational aspect of this field um but then this brings me to the thing that i was honestly the most excited to talk about from this topic which is the scanimate well have you heard of the scanimate no it sounds like scantron it's um scan oh my god scantron the freaking test taking yeah <laughs> software like that you just fill in the bubbles and put it into the computer and then a cartoon comes out that's exactly what this is good um so what scanimate was is uh, you can think of it a little bit like a giant electronic synth okay um, that takes images that are scanned in via a uh like very primitive digital camera very early digital camera and you then have an image a monochromatic image that you can take knobs and turn things to move it manipulate it stretch it skew it rotate it on a screen um, oh, wow. All right. No, I I looked it up. It, it's it, it's just like vaporwave graphics. Exactly. Like, it's so it cool. Is, it is so cool. It is physical real-time animation that is happening due to electronic circuits. Like, um, so where the originator of this uh, sort of got the idea for it, and so this was made by... Um, the Computer Image Corporation in Denver, Colorado. Um, and where 
the the engineers got the idea for it was by when you turn off an old CRT TV, um, it does that like pew thing blink. where it like shrinks down, and mm-hmm. that is an effect of an electrical thing that is happening. That is like a, a physical process. Um, it's deflection circuits. So it's it's like All literally right. something electrical that is happening inside of the box. And so the engineers were like, what if instead of that happening only as it's powering down, we took that and we put it on knobs. And then this it just like spawned into this giant machine. I think there ended up being like two of them ever that have been kept alive they still exist they're still being used today but like every freaking like news intro and outro like a bunch of advertisements like just imagine like a a technicolor logo with like some lens flares on it spinning its way into the center of a screen that's that's what we're talking about here yeah yeah exactly every single one of those was this one company more or less one that i've found that it that i've uh that like makes all of these and so they they like built in they continued to add to it and make different effects as there were like different requests to it um and it was like these three engineers who were just like keeping this thing running forever wow it started out with like these very like visually elaborate but mathematically simple like spirographs and things like that and the the big thing that turned it into the thing that is like you became ubiquitous is the um the fact that you can move text the fact that you could capture an image or like a logo Mm -hmm. or any of these other things and manipulate that and switch it around and recolor it and like make an outline of it and all that stuff is analog it is modifying the way that electricity is is uh moving through and then doing that thing that I talked about earlier, which is projecting it onto a CRT monitor that has been captured onto first to film and then tapes and now digital. Yeah. You have to point camera at the screen <laughs> in order to capture this. And this is, it's like, I can't emphasize, like real time animation is something that we've like barely just gotten a hold of where you can like modify a knob or turn a thing and, mm-hmm. and see an immediate response from your screen because it's hard. It's a really complicated from a computational side. But when you're dealing with analog, when you're dealing with circuits and electrical, uh, electrical components, there's n- it has no option other than to be instant one-to-one response. The same way that like a synthesizer is modifying electrical currents to make an output. Right. Um, and it's just astonishing. Like... Um, I'll try to include uh, a link to this. Like, it's like a 16-minute documentary um, in the uh, in the in the show notes that sort of goes into this um, machine and the the engineers who keep it running. Um, but then it was used in like hundreds of, of television shows or like um, intro sequences, things like that. So it was well, used in. Go ahead. There's something to say about like the history of animation and commercials, like. <laughs> This <laughs> yeah, this right. was used so much for commercials. And, you know, even prior to that, you had, like, uh, the Flintstones doing cigarette ads and shit like that. But, like, there, there's a whole world of animated commercials that kind of, like, Honestly. because they only have to be so long, 
they could uh you know be a little bit more avant-garde yeah like spend the truly messed up amounts um on animation because it's like so expensive per second oh yeah in a 15 second ad where your your promotion budget is already so gigantic and and you're gonna run this fucking tricks rabbit ad for 10 years then yeah (laughs) go for it uh the one other thing that's like a a good reference if you've um because i feel like a lot of people have seen this movie during the oompa loompa song uh for willy wonka and the chocolate factory where there's like lyrics directly on the screen and there's words that are sort of being manipulated that was this device wow yeah it was used. It was used in so much. It was used in Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band uh, music videos. A lot of music videos. Um, the first uh, anime that I could find it being used in is called Final Yamamoto, which is a um, and Be Forever Yamamoto, uh, which look incredible. I haven't watched any of it, huh. um, but it looks super awesome. It's a it's a 1980s animation uh, anime movie, which made like a ton of money. Money was super popular. Um, and it was used to like do a bunch of the laser effects and stuff in that. Um, well, I, I tried to look it up and I'm just getting a whole bunch of stuff about, uh, Final Fantasy. <laughs> yeah. Final Fantasy has poisoned our culture. Mm-hmm. That's a joke. I love it. Um, so that's the Scanimate. I'm in love with the Scanimate. Scanimate is love. Scanimate is life. I'm obsessed it, with this device. It's really cool to look back at like, there are so many of these things that like yeah when i was growing up this was just ubiquitous in yeah commercials and like beginning of news segments and stuff like that and just finding out that yeah it was just like these three guys and that's what messes me up so much about it is that like this didn't have to happen unlike the rest of the progression of computer animation the scanimate is something that exists on like an almost entirely separate track like everything else is like okay we found programming languages we are starting to examine how to use programming languages to manipulate dots on a screen or uh, in the case of CRT which i don't know if everybody knows this CRT um cathode ray tube is what that stands for it is also an analog projection so it's a projection of electrons that happen on bands so it doesn't have pixel resolution the same way that we imagine most modern monitors to have um which is why it works so well with vector and with um, uh, these these other related animation styles or like rasterization styles is because it's like analog. It, it, it is an electrical signal that is being represented um, physically. And and then there's this, this, this thing that is like wholly different. Somebody made a synthesizer, a visual synthesizer in the freaking 1960s. And that's so cool. Yeah, well, and it blew up like nobody's yeah. business. Because everybody, you think about the way that this would be done otherwise, is that it would be hand-painted, it would be hand-drawn, and it changed the visual style, it changed the visual language, um, like, it necessarily. Just, it, it would have just taken so much more time to make any yeah. number of these graphics move around. Because, like, obviously you can just, you know, take your cell and spin it around or whatever, but... right the amount of time invested for that as opposed to you just hire these three dudes and, and they'll skew it around yeah. and, and like replicate it and like and and technology it's interesting now because i feel like we've we've arrived at a point where 
the the media that you're working in if you're working digitally um doesn't inform your your content too much anymore right in in old days in old games and old animation um or in like the the early days i should say not old days um you your content was so limited by the media that you were creating it in that it it really informed the style of it artistically something that we think is like very personal to the author um well and that makes just like yeah it makes me think of the um you know you always see those images of like mario brothers 3 or whatever and i know we're forbidden to speak about uh video games on this podcast yeah we don't talk about video games we don't talk about video games i'm talking about the super mario brothers super show with captain lou albano um but (laughs) lou alba yeah they (laughs) so you'll find all these um images of like just a screen cap from super mario brothers and the screen cap on your screen is more data like takes up more memory than the entire game just like i don't think i don't think we can truly understand unless you're like competing in like ludum dare 5k competitions where you make games that are under five kilobytes i mean sorry animations um (laughs) (laughs) to really understand with captain lou albano with captain lou albano the 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 physical limitations that were put on people making these things anyway so that's scanimate just we could spend an entire fucking episode on scanimate i i love this thing um yeah I I just googled it and looked at the images and I'm like, oh no, this is the, like my entire childhood. I watched yeah. almost like exclusively this. Like this is just everywhere. It's what vaporwave is. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, there's a a film that came that came after that. Um, that came after the advent of Scanimate, not the entirety, because like the longevity of Scanimate, like I said, exists through to today. Right. Um, there's a really interesting film called Metadata, uh, which is a um, uh, produced in Canada. It's uh, by a, a French artist named Peter Foldes. Uh, mm-hmm. And the, the interesting thing that it did was interpolation. So what interpolation is, is I can take one image and another image, and I can tell a computer to figure out how to make the two flow seamlessly together um and i this can usually is, give it yeah. like a time frame to do it within this is why when you buy a new monitor all your cartoons that you watch on it look like dog shit because frame interpolation is garbage unless you're doing it intentionally right <laughs> like this um it's yes. also um uh, as we get later into this I, we're splitting this these episodes vaguely into 2d v 3d um but uh, and I can talk about this a little bit right now. It is what you think of with like a lot of flash animation. Flash animation makes use of a thing called tweening, which is a uh, which is shortening for in between, um, which is something that we talked about in in our uh, earlier animation yeah. episodes, where you're taking one image, your keyframe, and a second keyframe, and in betweening those two. Interpolation is just saying that a computer is doing that thing. And so metadata is a is a really interesting early exploration of how that informs like the kinds of images that you can have. It's like um, taking a bunch of lines and then transitioning them into human figures or 
simple little scenes um, and then changing them into something else using computer interpolation. It's just got some some funky music behind it. Otherwise, right. there's a it's French, even yeah. if it's French Canadian. So there's a lot of nudes. Sick. Um, you know, um, but again, it's like very we're we're sort of it feels almost like we're jumping around with this anime just because the anime was so powerful. But this is like well, back because, to black yeah, screen it, and simple it was lines. Just a thing that lasted forever. It's kind of like when I mentioned you know claymation yeah. in the other episodes. It, it's just interacting with this medium on a completely different axis. Exactly, where it like completely splits off. And so when you go back to like very basic computer animation stuff again, you're like, oh, we're back to the Stone Age again. Right. <laughs> <It's shit>. <laughs> <laughs> we're back to punch cards, baby. And then uh, one other thing that, that feels relevant to talk about is like the first commercially exported animation software, which is available until relatively recently. I did some, some digging on this. Um, it's called Antics, um, and then later called Antics 2D. Um, this is like picture, like I don't know if anybody used uh, Windows 1998 Kid Picks or like the early Mac drawing softwares. This is like that, except you can add frames to it. So this is like you can draw, make a new frame, draw, make a new frame. And they continued working on this piece of software and even made a, a 3D version of it. They were based very, very similarly on like conventional animation techniques. So like paint bucketing in to create right. cell animation, things like that. Um, but this also included interpolation and in-between effects. So you could, yeah, take one image and morph it into another one. You could output this in a, in a number of ways. Um, the most common one was to send it off to uh, another company to do, to like then recreate this animation captured on film but then you could still do uh multicolor or like color animation but you'd have to use the same the same very complicated uh physical techniques that other people were using to color film at this time right so you'd have to use your prisms and use your like your technicolor <laughs> and and your, yeah 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 just true true horseshit to to produce this that sort of like wraps us up more or less um there's uh, a number of other like um uh, small advancements that were made but but this sort of is the the point in time when we get into 3d becoming available um so i think this is where we'll we'll cap this episode and get into 3d animation next week yeah that sounds great did you so, have uh, like a, a specific thing that we wanted to talk about at the end of this um honestly a lot of this stuff is still so early in the in the the scope the, of there there isn't really a um it's, yeah it's like, not good uh, art yet yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know this is this is still like in the 1970s and um nobody has made anything that is like that I feel like is like oh they they took there's this. no like feature length animation made by a computer at this yeah, point yeah exactly yeah the the longest animation I think is like eight and a half minutes long so that's we'll, how we'll long this metadata into... movie is <laughs> we'll get into some of the um the both the 3D animation as well as um the first feature length fully digitally done animations in the next episode yeah. So I think we should finish off by talking about um, Vector the Crocodile's son, Argyle the Crocodile. That uh, can't possibly be real. 
Yeah, it's from uh, the Light Mobius universe. In case you're unaware, um, Sonic comics just go entirely off the fucking oh, wall at some point. Oh my god, I'm looking at this image right now. Yeah, there he is. Sexuality. Yeah, he, he's Straight. got like a... <laughs> <laughs> Weakness. Gets nervous easily. <laughs> um, his birthday is the day before mine. That's fun. Ooh, that's fun for you. That's fun for me and Argyle. <laughs> All right, I I had never been on the ArchieSonic.fandom this <laughs> website is fucking wild. Oh my god, there's so many drawings of this crocodile. Yeah, well, you know we'll get deeper to that in our theme month of Sonictober. They all have kids. Is that why do they all have robotic? Wait, limbs? They all have kids. There's Belle, which looks like a, a cream child. Which is an awful thing to say. Jacques, which looks like Knuckles. Sky, which looks like Tails. And then I can't tell who Melody is like obviously a kid of. Oh, that must be, um, shit, what's her name? The Bat. Rouge. Rouge, yeah. For, wow. I, I genuinely don't enjoy Sonic media at no. all. But I do find it ungodly fascinating. It's like, um... Yeah, I just can't look away. It is right. a train wreck of a franchise. <laughs> it's it's amazing. <laughs> I didn't realize that this was not a fan-created character. No. Everything that seems fan-created in the Sonic universe has a reasonable chance of having been in the Archie comics. That's fucked up, dude. Yeah. So anyway, uh, next next episode. Yeah, next episode <laughs> we're going to talk about... Um, the Sonic the Hedgehog movie with Ben Schwartz and uh, I think we are necessarily going to have human? to bring it up. Yeah, which hurts. We'll stop there. Thanks so much for listening, y'all. Big thanks to the composer of our theme, Miles Morkery, and to Bernadette Meeker, the artist for our thumbnail. We're on Pod on Twitter.com. Our website is on You're the best. Good night. Good night.